0: hey it's aldwin and i'm jason this is the ready play tennis podcast new balls please
1: we put our shit together so that we can entertain to you <laughs> <laughs> oops
0: <laughs> come back to
1: life dick ember
0: <laughs> you know where we're going with this right <laughs> i think i feel like it's another ass comment but
1: jason J- jason just called you on your bluff and you you came back and you called
0: us an albatross i don't know what that is do you know what this is it's called entertainment in all caps time ready play Is that your dog? (laughs) I think that's a perfect way to start the interview. We're so happy to have Rebecca Marino and her dog on the show. It's great to be
2: here.
0: (laughs) Um, So we wanted to obviously say thank you. One of the things that we do um, in our efforts to court players like you on the show is... We constantly pester people on Instagram with our love and affection for your play and your story. Uh, So we did that with you. So we appreciate you seeing that and responding. And obviously it's timely that we have you here serendipitously because of some of the issues that have been emerging in tennis um, related to mental health. Something that you know a lot about. So we're really excited to chat with you about all of that today.
2: Yeah, there's a lot to talk about, so it's, it's great to be here. And yeah, getting all those nice messages, like so flattering, you you just like ease me
1: into coming here is great. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, before we dive in, uh, we want to take you back. Are you ready to go back, Rebecca? <laughs> I guess so. Let's, let's take it back. <laughs> yeah. We're going to take you back to your childhood. And in our research about you, we found out that you, came, you come from a very athletic family. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's no small thing. We know that your uncle has a gold medal somewhere in rowing. Is it in rowing?
2: Yeah, he was in
1: Paris rowing, uh
2: Tokyo 64. He won the gold with his wow. partner, um
1: Jackson, so Jackson Hungerford 64. That is incredible. And you know, we know that your brothers also very athletic. So <laughs> our first question is like growing up as a kid, was sports like what was the dynamic in your family in terms of sports were you all encouraged to be competitive in sports was sports just a part of like your daily life what was that like for you
2: yeah i mean both my parents are very athletic people too so it was something that we always did together as a family that was like our after school thing was always extracurricular sports uh uh, parent children time sports So it was like just so ingrained in me to to be competitive naturally through that. But um, it gave me such a passion and love for any sport from a really young age. So it's nice that it's continued with me up until now.
1: Yeah, and we actually found out that you didn't, in terms of racket sports, you didn't start off with tennis. Like from our understanding, you became more serious or you were introduced to tennis at 10 but you started off with badminton. Is that true?
2: Yeah, that's true. Badminton was the first uh, first real racket sport that I did. And then because I remember probably from the age of five or so, my maybe younger, I don't know, when would it do kids learn <laughs> the alphabet? My, my mom would take me to the uh, badminton court and across the net we would start doing the alphabet and see if we could get all the way through. So that was <laughs> the first... Uh, <laughs> First racket. First introduction.
1: introduction. No wonder you have such a crazy booming serve because in badminton all you do is overheads, isn't it?
2: Yeah, that was my favorite thing was the smashes. <laughs> I was never very good with the, the backhands or the the forehand touch and the drop shots. It was always the smashes. I love that. So yeah, I guess that translated over really well with the tennis serve. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I
0: remember playing a little bit of badminton myself. It's very, very fast. So Um, As Aldwyn said, (laughs) you're a hard hitter, so it makes sense that you would do a natural transition to tennis. But we wanted to ask, obviously it was uh, you had a decision to make to either get that full ride to university or play tennis. And what was sort of the back and forth in your mind um, in making that decision? And knowing the decision that you made, did you feel a little bit of extra pressure at that time to do well um as you started on the pro tour
2: yeah well for me it was a really tricky decision um because i knew that i'd be giving up uh the academics and basically a free ride scholarship for, for women through tennis it's um yeah full, full ride with title nine and uh for me and my family they've been brought up that like education is incredibly important and i knew that um, it would be something that I would want to do eventually, and in giving that up, would I be making the right decision, that sort of thing. So um, I had a lot of discussions with my parents, of course, because um, they've been with me through the whole journey. And they told me at first to defer for one year so I could try playing tournaments. So I still had uh, the possibility of going to school if I wanted. Um, which was actually a really good decision in hindsight because it gave me a t- taste of the Pro Tour. And if I had decided that I wanted to go back to school, then I absolutely could have because um, I retained my amateur status. But by that point, I think I played the WTA tournament in Quebec City. I had my first Top 100 win against Jill Kravis uh, on those lightning-fast courts. And, uh, <laughs> you know, having having that win kind of sparked it in my head that I was like, ah, oh, you know... Maybe this is something I should really give a give my 100% and um, my dad gave me really good advice saying that, you know, school will always be there. You can go at any time during your life, but a professional career in tennis will not always be there. So take the, this opportunity when you have it. And that's how it all boiled down. Yeah. <laughs>
1: We, um, I I love that you mentioned the Jill Krabis win, we actually have friends, um, so we play on the GLT World Tour, which is the Gay and Lesbian Tennis Association Tour, there are tournaments all over the world, and uh, our friends that are in Quebec, they, when we see them in Montreal for the September tournament, many of them have volunteered at the, um, at the Belch, I think it was formerly called the Bell Challenge, am I yeah. correct?
2: Yeah, that's right.
1: Bell challenge, and so they would tell us stories. They'd be like, "Oh my God, I I remember watching that match between Rebecca and Jill." And you know, when we put it on our social today that we were interviewing, where they're like, "Say hi!" We remember seeing her in the hallways. <laughs> so you know, there's a there's a whole there's a whole bunch of um, GLTA members and fans that when we shared our um, our news that we were interviewing you, they just went crazy. So just to let you know.
2: Oh, that's really cute. I love that. I mean, it was a great tournament. It was one of my favorite ones because everyone's just so kind and welcoming. And obviously I had some pretty decent results there.
1: Um, yeah.
2: Yeah, but oh, that's really cute.
1: Oh, thanks. <laughs> we, wa- we wanted to take you back to, you know, in the theme of taking back. <laughs> this is we your life. You- <laughs> <laughs> we, we wanted to take you back to um a moment in your life that is rarely experienced by anyone else and this moment is waiting in the tunnel of arthur Ashe stadium mm. because you know 2010 you worked your way through the qualifying of the u.s open you won three matches um you you beat your first round opponent opponent you're facing venus williams i mean like everyone knows who venus williams is just take us back to that moment where you're waiting in the tunnel what are you thinking what is that what is that moment like for you is it surreal?
2: Um, well luckily it was a day match so it wasn't like the dramatic <laughs> night match like you're in a you're in the tunnel sort of thing um, but for me I just kind of tried to pretend it was any other match and went from there I mean, looking back maybe I should have been a little more freaked out or like nervous but I was kind of like no this is where I want to be this is the stage this is awesome I was just happy to qualify and then um if uh for my first round I hadn't even looked at who I'd play in the second round so um yeah to have that opportunity pretty neat but no I just I don't know I don't remember much about the tunnel so I must I must have been just like blacked out put my own blinders on and just went went for it so yeah
0: once in a lifetime once in a lifetime i mean hopefully not
2: once hopefully not sorry what (laughs) am i saying Ridiculous. yeah this is a pretty cool experience um and definitely like when you're growing up playing tennis that's where you want to be so to actually experience that was really really cool
1: I mean, you perhaps kind of alluded to it already, but I mean, you said, you just said that being in Arthur Ashe, you're kind of had your blinders on, you're really focused on your own match, but do you re- recall or recollect a moment where, you know, perhaps you're bouncing the ball and you're, you look up and you're like, this stadium seats like 7 billion people. Like, <laughs> did, did that ever happen? Did that happen to you during your match with against Venus?
2: Yeah, when did that happen? I mean, I I don't remember exactly what point it was, but I, I know I looked up and I realized how steep the stadium is. And it was it wasn't full because like I said, it was it was a day match. So you could see all these like empty seats. There there were people watching, <laughs> granted. And it was televised. I know there are a lot of people at home watching, but um yeah, I was just like, oh my gosh, this is huge and it felt like almost like the wind could come swirling down and like you they had the the camera on the wire as well and uh yeah that was that was a little bit intimidating but <laughs> and i was like no no just focus on tennis <laughs> <laughs> yeah
0: avoid the spider camera and focus on the tennis <laughs> yeah, <exactly. laughs> i can tell you i was there in 2014 and i was i think 10 rows from the top and the players, you guys on the on the court, are very small up at that level, so it tells you how big um, the courts are.
2: Sorry, can I just grab something my dog is cheering <laughs> yeah. I can see it happening, I'm sorry, guys. Oh,
0: no. No, that's okay. We're the not cutting this The one thing
2: I forgot to put away.
1: <laughs> we well, like the realness. We, okay. like, we
0: like the realness of it. <laughs> <laughs> sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> what kind of dog do you have?
2: Uh, a labradoodle.
0: Oh okay. Just <laughs> the
2: noises outside, and you know, quite interested in that.
0: No worries. Well, speaking of a big court, you just came back from the French Open, and uh, the tournament has evolved into a broader conversation about mental health uh, in sports. Um, we obviously know that you have a lot of experience um, with that. Um, for those of you who don't know, I think it would be worthwhile having you, you know, s- tell a little bit of your story um, in light of all that's been going on um, and why you sort of decided to take a break uh, from the sport in 2013.
2: Sure, yeah. I mean, oh, it's always interesting trying to tell people my of story because it's like I've had multiple careers all in one. Um, So yeah, um, so I played in the US Open when I was around 19 or so, and then I had a steep career um, or rise in the rankings, and I made it up to 38 in the world. Um, And then I really struggled with life on tour. I felt very lonely and isolated, um, and I struggled with my mental health. And so in 2013, I decided to retire from tennis just to give myself time to get healthy and happy and sort of refine my identity off court. Um, I actually found that was really helpful. And I am really glad I I took that time because it makes me feel like a much more balanced person. Um, And after five years of retirement, having gone to school, having coached, having done all these life experiences, I got the bug again. And I decided to return to tennis. having to start from scratch, uh, no ranking, and uh, climb my way back up um, to playing back in Grand Slam qualifying. There's been a few injuries along the way. But um, yeah, that's sort of the, the short version is I took a, a mental health break mm. from, uh, from tennis and returned happier, healthier, and much more passionate for the sport.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: We, um, you know, in, again, just sharing with our followers that we were interviewing you, again, those guys from Quebec that were volunteers at that tournament, you know, I think as tennis fans, when we hear a Canadian star like you taking a break from mental health, it's hard for us to vision what that looks like for you in terms of what your day-to-day grind on the tour is. So can you perhaps share, like, what is it specifically about being on the tour that um, that kind of put you in a situation where you had to really take care of your own mental health? Was it the traveling and being on your own? Was it um, just like the daily week in, week out grind of qualifying, being in the main draw? What was it in fact?
2: Um, it would probably be a whole bunch of different things compounded together. Uh, it was definitely <laughs> the environment um, in terms of Having to yeah travel week after week, knowing your defending points. If you had a great result the year before, you have to follow it up. Otherwise, you're going to not make money <laughs> and your ranking is going to fall. So your, your income is entirely dependent on performance, which is really stressful. Um, mm-hmm. Also, as an individual sport, um, everything is about you. So other people's jobs rely on you. So there's that sort of aspect of it. There's yes. the travel, which was, I think, you could travel 30 to 32 weeks a year um, out of 52. And for me, I was based out of Montreal at that time. And um, for me, I, I struggled with that being from Vancouver. Vancouver is very much different than Montreal. And I didn't really have friends or family in Montreal. So for me, I never felt settled. I was always always on the road, basically. Um, and that sort of took a little bit of a hole on me. Um, mm-hmm. yeah. So <laughs> those are a few different reasons, mm-hmm. um, as to why I started to sort of struggle with feeling lonely. Um, mm-hmm. but knowing all that now, I feel like it's better prepared me for life on tour again. So I'm much more prepared. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs>
0: Obviously, uh, the issue with Naomi Osaka has brought this really to the forefront and, you know, it's not lost on us that she's the same age now as you were when you decided to step away and her statement indicated that she's going to take a break. Mm -hmm. So if you were to hop on the phone with her or do a FaceTime with her, what advice um, would you give to her as she sort of takes this break and looks to sort of support uh, self-care and and her mental health?
2: Well, uh, that's really hard because it's obviously her own personal journey and I don't want to step in uh, and say the wrong sort of thing. Um, I will say that I appreciate her transparency with everyone and that she's brought um, the talk about mental health and athletes' mental health to really the forefront of conversation, we're still talking about this. And it's been just the international headline and people are agreeing with her that, um, that something needs to change in terms of how we look at and, and treat athletes. Um, so I, I think that's really good. And I think it's great that she's also setting boundaries and she knows what she needs to do in order to help herself. So it's, it's actually great that she's taking this break right now um, I'm sure she has people around her who are going to support her as best they can. Um, and so she just has to take as long as she needs and not feel pressure to come back and just do the things that will make her feel best, whether that's knowing what the boundaries are for, for journalists and interviews and that sort of thing, or if there's something else going on in her life that needs to be managed. Um, yeah, I think I think she's, doing the right thing and taking a break right now and uh just to take the time that she needs to to get where she needs to
0: be. yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. i think like you being back we know uh you are great for the sport and naomi is great for the sport so um we ob- obviously all want her to get the help and support that she needs <laughs> um during your time away uh you Got an English degree, you studied English. That's my one degree, year by the way. You have, have one, one year, year left. left.
2: Oh.
0: oh, okay. I, While I you... wish I
2: had my degree. I didn't mean to cut you off there, but <laughs> well, you, <laughs> of, yeah, you'll get it. I will get it. I've been slowly chipping away in this past year in the pandemic. That's been something I've tried to work on and take a few classes, but it's so hard when I'm traveling right now. Yeah. Um, but yeah like I I literally dropped everything I was doing to come back to tennis two weeks before classes I dropped out dropped everything I quit my job and then I started training (laughs) so that's why I have one year left
0: well Um, I that's I think we should we should go back to the question about what brought you back to tennis like First, I'm interested in what what the job is that you were doing and that you that you dumped, <laughs> and does does that employer still like you? And then, you know, what um, what made you decide to drop everything and say this now's the time?
2: Okay, so I was coaching. I was I was a tennis coach, and the employer still really likes me. We have a really good relationship, <laughs> and he he completely supports my decision to come back to tennis. And uh, I, I do on occasion, um, like when I was injured, I was coaching for them again, just to have a little bit of income. Right. So great relationship there. Shout out to UBC Tennis Center. <laughs> they are fantastic. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but um, yeah, what made me want to come back to tennis? Um, I've been thinking about it. Well, I mean, it, I've talked about this before publicly that. My my father was diagnosed um, with cancer, and um, in February of 2017, yes, February 2017, and that was basically what kickstarted my decision to reevaluate things in my life that I felt were unresolved. And the top of that list was tennis, um, but this was something that I really close to my chest and I didn't tell anyone about. And so it took me from February all the way until, yeah, <laughs> Van Open in Vancouver, the 100,000 ITF in ATP um, in August. And Rick DeVos, the tournament director, asked me to be a hitting partner. And um, I was like, okay, you know, I've already been thinking a little bit about coming back to tennis. This will be a really good opportunity for me to see if I am comfortable being around a tournament be if I can still hit with these girls who are currently on tour. So I was just like, sure, sure, I'll do it. And I loved it. And I hit with a few girls, and I was like, oh, dang, I, like, I still got it. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I talked to um, a, a couple coaches that I knew who I thought I could trust. Um, and they supported the decision. And I was like, OK, if they think this is not a completely crazy idea. Maybe this is something I need to do. And I need to do it right now. Um, And so I had the discussion with my parents and my friends and all the rest of my family, and everyone was completely supportive. It seemed like it was completely out of left field as well because it was just like I was in the school mode. I was coaching. I was just like totally different track. Um, And, yeah, that's how it all all started, just not wanting to live – Well, congrats
1: later in my life, basically. That's phenomenal. I mean, when it's right, it's right. I think that you can totally find yourself in a certain lane. But, you know, as you just mentioned, tennis being on top of the things that were unresolved, I just, you know, if you you feel like you need to go back and um, explore that avenue, then all the power to you. And obviously, as tennis fans, we are, listen, I, I, I've said it bef- we've said it before on this Zoom, but I don't know that you understand the magnitude to which, you know, when we share your story and like your comeback amongst just our tennis community, our small tennis community here in Toronto, our gay tennis community, they they love you. So it's it was it was so thrilling to hear that you were on your comeback. And girl, you didn't just come back, you came back and you won everything. Like <laughs> didn't you come back and you won three tournaments in a row
2: yeah right yeah I I wasn't even sure if I I went into that tournament and I was like oh oh, the rules again like (laughs) anything (laughs) changed I had to like look up the rules and regulations like no everything's the same so uh (laughs) that was that was pretty insane but like yeah when I think it was 18 matches in a row or something Yeah, yeah I don't remember but I was like, okay, yeah, this was a good decision.
1: (laughs) (laughs) We had the results ticker live. We like we saw all your results. All of the girls here in the Toronto Gay and Lesbian League were following you, so we were really proud of you. But I think our next question for you is that you know, obviously everyone has been affected by the pandemic. Um, and we wanted to know like clearly your comeback came before the pandemic, but now that we are in the midst, I'd have to say that we're kind of in the tail end of the pandemic, and we're probably returning to a sense of normalcy sooner than later. But what was your feeling as you're trying to mount this comeback? um, When the pandemic really first emerged last March, did you feel like, oh, man, like, you know, what's going what's going on? Or did you have to kind of reevaluate refocus? What was that situation for you? yeah well, I had
2: I, I actually think it was a, a positive thing for me. um if I can say so the uh, the pandemic as a whole is not a great thing, and I'm not saying it should happen. but for me, um I tore the plan of fashion my foot in August um before. so I was completely off. I could barely walk for thirty minutes oh, God. Um, not, let alone play tennis. So for me it was like, Okay if everything's canceled and the rankings are frozen that means like my rankings frozen so that's great. I don't have to worry about like rushing to come back um, and that's something that I kind of have a bad habit of doing is not working through <laughs> my injury completely like everyone um, and returning too soon. so mm-hmm. it really wait till you turn me-
1: 40. <laughs> <laughs> <No>. <laughs>
2: So it really forced me to um, focus on recovering my injury to like 100%. And then, um, yeah, it it actually was a blessing in disguise and a complete silver lining. And then there was just a lack of tournaments once I was ready around uh, November. So then it just happened to be Australian Open qualifying as my first one back from injury. And yeah, so that was a good start.
1: Are you a mind reader? Because that is exactly the next question you're we going to ask you. <laughs> oh, there we go. You
0: set us
2: up.
1: You're, okay. So let's get into it because 2021 Australian Open qualifying, you get through your first three rounds. First of all, what was your mindset for those qualifying matches? What was your goal? And um, yeah, what, what was your goal heading into qualifying?
2: Uh, Well, I wanted to keep... My expectation is low, but obviously, I wanted to qualify as well. Like Everyone wants to qualify. But I knew that it was my first tournament back, and I couldn't be too hard on myself. Um, so I wanted to play a little bit free, um, which I don't think happened. I was extremely nervous, um, truthfully, because I knew that if, uh, if I lost, I would have to pretty much return straight home and quarantine, because there were no other mm-hmm. tournaments for me to play. Um, mm-hmm. Or if I did qualify, I had to guarantee two or three tournaments. So I was like, okay, sweet. This is a great opportunity. I really need to qualify. But I'm like, <laughs> okay, if you don't, you really need this. So that was kind of <laughs> what was happening back and forth in my head. Um, so uh, yeah, I, I, I felt really nervous in all the matches. I just knew that I had to hold serve the whole time pretty much. And luckily, I was mm-hmm. serving really well the, for, for all the three matches course, really fast. It stood me really well. And then uh huge relief once I qualified and then made it down down to Melbourne. Yeah.
1: Yeah, you, you qualified your three matches. You faced an Australian player, Burrell, in the first round. The first set was pretty comprehensive. Again, we were watching. Our eyes were, like, glued on the television. <laughs> and the second set got a bit dicey. She had five set points, and you won the tiebreak in in, like, 11-9, if I'm not mistaken. So, <laughs> I can, <laughs> okay, am I reading your mind when I'm saying, like, you should have closed that out earlier? What was your whole kind of feeling in that second set against Burrell?
2: Oh, 100%, I got the <laughs> yes. Yeah. It's like, it's almost like that first set was just too easy, or not not too easy, just it made me, it made me relax too much. And I have a really yeah. bad habit of, being like, oh, that's it. And then forgetting the other person's gonna try harder from the second set. Um, and I just let her in. I think at the first couple games, I, I could have been up 2 zero or I, I don't really remember, but I really needed to like put the continue to put the pressure on her and I just used up too much. And then it was just back and forth in that second set. And oh man, it just <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I made it way too tight for myself, I think it gave, gave a lot of people heart attacks.
0: <laughs> <laughs> when yeah. you um, when you said you got the yips, were you were you having um, like an issue with the serve? When when I hear that term, I always think you know the, something goes off with the serve, or you know something goes off with one of your strokes that that you know is uh, impacting your your place in the match.
2: That's true. I don't think it was one shot in particular. The yips was more just like. I, I felt like it was so close that I just like I get there and then I give it away. So almost like, in the point play of itself, the yips. Mm. Um, So it was almost like the reality of winning a main draw match was like right there. I I wanted it so badly that I wasn't making it happen. Um, Mm. And I'm sure a lot of people can relate to that, (laughs) feeling wanting something too badly. Yeah.
0: We, we feel that way every every time we play a tournament, a first round match for no money.
2: So. <laughs> yeah, <So> it's a <laughs> universal feeling regardless of what level we're at. Is yeah. A,
1: yeah. <laughs> Absolutely, very true. So you you clinched that match against Burrell first round, you faced the French Open finalist, Von Drusev in the second round. Um, what was your, I mean, as you're working your way through the match, what was your feeling like, did you feel like you had chances? Um, if I'm not mistaken, like the second set, you kind of were able to work your way in. What was your kind of takeaway from that match against uh, Vondrusova?
2: Mm, well, we had played each other at Fed Cup in 2019 um, in in the Czech Republic. So I was aware of her game style a little bit. And you know, had a good, or a better opportunity against her on hard court. Um, and it just took me a, a little bit too long to get into that match so the first set um definitely got away from me and in that second set again i just i, I worked my way um to get into it and then i found myself up five three and then <laughs> kind of almost realized i had that opportunity and it, it slipped away and that's sort of the difference at the top level is when you have those opportunities like you need to take the one point when it's there instead of you know, thinking too much about it or free points and that sort of thing. So it was definitely a, a good, difficult learning experience. Um, and it also, I think she was top 20 at the time, um, showed me that I can hang with the top 20 player, which is really, yeah, a nice feeling. And, I, and then the next tournament I played martic she was also top 20 and I went to three sets with her and probably should have won that match. So I was like, okay, I'm right back in it. Um, and where I want to be, and I just got to keep plugging away at it. So, even though I, I lost against Von Ruseva and against Martic, um, there's a lot of good things to take away from those matches, and I can't be too disappointed in not capitalizing on the chances I had, but then learn from it and not do it again. <laughs> <laughs>
0: You talked about um, playing again with Team Canada and you did that back in was it March or April of this year?
2: Yeah, that was in April. We played against Team Serbia in yeah. And,
0: <laughs> <laughs> and it, it was a clean sweep of matches and you played singles. Uh, did you play doubles as well? I forget. Uh,
2: yeah, I played singles and doubles.
0: So you it was it was 3-0 if I recall. Um, and you you were kind of the veteran alongside our our other friend Layla. So what was that like, sort of uh, playing alongside her? And and you know, what do you think of her and, and her emergence uh, in the sport?
2: Oh, she's fantastic. I'm a huge Layla fan, um, and I think she's a, a great friend on tour as well. Um, I've known her, I guess. Before when she was still playing a lot of junior tournaments before she was really making it on the pro tour. We trained together in Montreal back when I was starting my comeback, and she was starting to come up in the juniors. Uh, and we played doubles a few times. Uh, I think we even won uh, the 25,000 in Gatineau. Um, so really good relationship with her. So I'm so pleased that all the hard work that she's putting in is paying off. She's top 100. Hopefully we'll get into the Olympics soon, and um, you know she's keeping a good, humble and good, humble attitude. But she's like a nice person and still like competitive. And I think she's just overall a a fantastic um, person and player and athlete. Canadian, so big fan.
1: Just a quick question about the Olympics, because, you know, the Olympics seems to be like the forgotten event of the 2021 year. I mean, uh, uh, Jason and I have been covering the slams and all of the tournaments, and we're so thankful that, you know, the tournaments and the tours seem to be returning to a sense of normalcy. But like, what does that look like for you in terms of qualification for the Summer Olympics in Japan this year?
2: Mm, well, for me, I don't think it's going to happen. Um, just a matter of where my ranking is right now, and mm. I already was kind of aware of that. Um, but it seems like a lot of the other players are very excited about the Olympics, and um, Japan seems like they're wanting to go ahead no matter what. So I'm I'll be quite curious to see what's going to happen on the sidelines. Um, <laughs> and there's going to be other tournaments going on that same week, so most likely I'll be off playing somewhere while everyone's competing in the Olympics and. Um, yeah, it should, be, it should be really exciting. And I'm, it should be really interesting to just see what news comes out of it as well, just because it's a um, bit of a hot topic. Uh, because it seems Japan as a country, yeah. um, people aren't completely keen on it happening as well.
1: So mm-hmm.
2: we'll see it'll be it'll be good. But I, I, I think of all the countries that can pull it off. They can do it. So
1: mm. <laughs> you'll you'll be slamming some balls in the hardcore season somewhere. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm
2: so looking forward to hardcore season.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That is your that girl, that is your season. Actually, sorry Jay, I, I just wanted to add a little bit of a thing. But we have on Facebook, we're members of the GLTA Players Lounge. So it's a um, a Facebook group of GLTA players that, you know, make comments and share stories about um, you know, their favorite players on the tour. Again, when we posted today that we were going to be talking to you um there were you know there was a thread of players that were saying watch out for rebecca for the grass court season because you know she's got that big booming serve she's got those hard ground strokes so like you know you know hard court is your season but we feel like you could do a little something something on grass <laughs> <laughs>
2: a few people have said that um we'll see if i can get on some grass courts uh i mean i'm currently in vancouver quarantining after Roland Garros, so um mm. I don't I don't know if uh, Wimbledon's gonna happen for me so I ran King dropped a little bit so that's why mm-hmm. I returned home mm-hmm. um, okay. maybe skip the grass courts prep for for hardcore if I squeak in I'm gonna go and we'll see what happens <laughs> yeah.
0: before we get into the fun part of our chat with our little game uh, we thought we would just share um, obviously we've we've seen your TED talk from 2013 and it's obviously very uh inspiring to come out and share um your experience in front of a bunch of strangers um related to your sort of mental health and what i thought was interesting was you talked about the retirement party you had for yourself at 22
2: um
0: (laughs) and ending sort of the tennis chapter in your life Um, and now you're sort of starting a new chapter so we wondered if is this like a new book is this a new chapter <laughs> or uh, and sort of what are your goals um for 2021 and going forward?
2: Oh gosh, yeah. Well it's it's interesting thinking back on that TED um, talk. Um I feel like that's a completely uh I've said this a few times, but it feels like a completely different person. I was in a completely different mindset. I look like a different person. I you can tell I was just like not in a good place. Um so yeah, if I could go and like, maybe erase it. <laughs> okay, <laughs> not erase it, but yeah, there's some things I wish I could sort of change because the, the narrative is a lot different and I feel I could articulate things a lot better. Um, so I would call this just a different chapter in my life of the novel of Rebecca Marino. Um, <laughs> so we'll we'll see what other chapters are added on, but um, it's, it's been an interesting ride so far and, uh, great experiences. Um, so yeah, maybe I should write book.
0: I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> I agree to good use
2: once I finish that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and then for you, one of my goals for 2021,
0: right?
2: And, and um, beyond. Yeah. And beyond. You're um,
0: back in your tennis career now.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So, <laughs> I would like to this year be completely injury free maintain injury fee for as long as possible in the coming years as well um and if i can start by getting my ranking back into qualifying of uh grand slams i think that's a reasonable goal for the next six months at least um to get my ranking going back up again uh, and then of course if i could get back in the top 100 that would be amazing I know I have a level but it's a matter of actually making it happen so that's the the future goal a little bit more long term
1: mm-hmm.
2: but um awesome. the exact number not sure I'll, I'll keep that a bit close to me but I think I think those are realistic goals um that I can achieve if I keep my focus on it and work really hard and um maybe if it's a little bit easier with the the travel um coming back into Canada soon Uh, the two-week quarantine is kind of killing my training a little bit yeah oh yeah
1: for sure Mm -hmm. for sure
0: this this is going to air in a couple weeks but that that um restriction has been lifted today if you've been vaccinated so
2: Mm, yeah Um, but i've been away for so long that i haven't even gotten my first vaccination
0: oh i see
2: yeah so i'm going to be getting mine on i get out of quarantine on friday and i book my appointment for sunday because i i think everyone should get vaccinated but um yeah i'm I'm really excited for at least that and then if i can get a second dose sometime then i can be quarantine Mm -hmm. free Oh, that's
0: that's great. Good. Well, I, I think we speak for all of our listeners that we can't wait to read all of the chapters of your <laughs> book <laughs> I uh, did forget before we go to the game but we did have a couple of uh, listener questions mm-hmm. so uh, one is from Nick uh, who asked if you could have any shot from a, pl- a current player or retired player uh, WTA or ATP who would it be and why hmm. I mean,
2: doesn't everyone want Roger Futter's one hand backhand I think that's oh. mm-hmm. yeah. if I could that's something I remember when I was first starting to learn to play tennis and I was trying to learn my two-handed backhand and I was like coach can I please learn a one-handed backhand he's like you can barely hit a two-handed backhand <laughs> <laughs> so I've always always dreamed of having that so if I could just steal that um, what are shot? Uh retired player I would take Cara Black's follies in a heartbeat. They're so so good. And then um my goodness. Who has the good trick shots? Um uh tweeners. Mm. Oh yeah.
0: Yeah. Good, good flashy player choices. Um from Ryan. Do you have any Encore superstitions? One of the um or or anything that you do that's sort of odd or unusual? I mean, when we spoke with Layla, we talked about her butt kicks and her like jumping up uh, and down at the back of the court before she gets ready to receive. Do you have any of those kinds of things?
2: Um, I try not to be too set in stone because if something goes wrong, I don't want to lose my focus, but I've noticed that I tap the neck post when I walk past it, when I go and I saw someone commented that I think on Twitter, I can't remember where I read it, and they're like, Oh, it's so cute that she taps the net post. And I was like, Oh my god, people are noticing <laughs> that I'm doing it. So I guess that's that's kind of my thing is tapping the net post with my racket or my hand, or but then if it's not working, don't tap it. Whatever.
1: Like it's not as said.
0: People but. notice everything.
1: I know <laughs> it's true. I love that, that's such a cute little, uh, that's a cute little habit that you have. Like you tap it with like your racket as you, on the changeover? Yeah, just, just a little tap. <laughs> just like, yeah. One, one little
2: yeah, tap. Just one, just one, yeah. Like <laughs> so least... you notice it from now on, if you ever see any of the matches and tapping, you're like, oh. <laughs> She's doing it. You can call yeah, me we're gonna, on
0: it. We're gonna watch out for that for sure. Yeah. Uh, The last question before we get to the game is uh, from Anne, our IG follower. What do you think both tours could do uh, to support players um, with their sort of mental health journey on the tour?
2: Hmm. That's a great question. Well, it seems like um, at least from I I know more from the WTA side. Um, I'm going to speak mostly from that, but I'm sure the ATP is is quite um, just as serious as the WTA. they really taking a priority in um, helping players with their mental health and they've made available some resources to us and in light of everything that's happened in the news the past couple weeks with Osaka they've sent out emails saying like here are the resources if you need them, please don't hesitate to contact us. Um, they're trying to pull the players to see how um, they can help and as well, um, the discussion has started as how um can journalists um and the media start to change as media is changing in itself um so it's great that the conversation's starting in terms of things that might um be more helpful it's it's hard to exactly say um i know we do have a mental health professional available at all tournaments for the wta so that's that's great, and I'm sure um, if we asked, um, actually, I know for a fact we can do Zoom chats with them uh, or Microsoft Teams or any, any other platform um, to, to chat with them. So I feel like they're taking a lot of steps forward to help players and make them feel more comfortable and that uh, mental health is just as important as physical health. So um, I don't exactly have anything that can be changed, but I think we're at least heading in the right direction
1: <coughs> that's that's fantastic mm-hmm. um do you like games rebecca like <laughs> <fun>? <laughs> so jason and i we have a game on our podcast that we've done with all of our player interviews and we're so honored that you're going to play this game with us it's called a changeover it's a series of rapid fire questions <coughs> as I'm coughing my lungs out, (laughs) (laughs) where we're gonna offer you like a this or that. And I guess the way to play the game is like to instinctually choose the this or the that. And then there's also going to be a couple of like um, favorite type questions. Like this isn't one of them, but like favorite ice cream flavor, something like that. Sure. Okay. Yeah. Are you ready to play our game? I'm so ready.
0: And because it's called the changeover, you have to like do an action like you're tapping your racket on the neck because (laughs) that's what happens on your changeovers.
2: (laughs) Right. Well, I just tapped the camera, so I'm ready.
0: (laughs) Perfect. You don't have to tap it every time.
2: I know.
1: (laughs) Okay. Here we go. Time on the clock. Becky or Becca? Becca. Serve or Volley. Sir. I knew that one. Um cross court or down the line? Down the line. National bank open in Montreal or Toronto? Ooh.
0: Montreal. Sorry guys. <laughs> Shady. But uh, we got you. We got you. <laughs>
1: That's okay. Um because you are currently doing your undergrad in English literature, Margaret Atwood or Alice Monroe? Mm, probably outward. Ooh, essay or short answer? Mmm,
2: short
1: answer. Short answer, me too. <laughs> <laughs> um, because we're in French Open season, are you croissant or baguette? Mmm, croissant all the way. Croissant all the way, I know, right? Um, Louvre or Eiffel Tower? Um, Louvre, yeah. Louvre. Mm-hmm. Do you, you like museums? I do, yeah. I, we watched, uh, sorry, just, I know we're like ruining the game right now. But- <laughs> 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 I watched your stories and we literally followed you 30 seconds, uh, 30 seconds as you're just like going through all of Paris. <laughs> <laughs> we, we loved it. We loved how you were discovering Paris and all of the sites. It was wonderful.
2: Oh, thank you. Yeah, that's something, you know. I've been trying to do is like see a little bit of the city when i'm there that's something i didn't do in career 1.0 that i'm trying to do in career 2.0 and yes. um when i was young yeah, the past two months i've posted the stories and my friends are like oh my god share more because we can't travel and i was like okay i'm gonna
1: just share everything and well, people don't want to nice.
2: watch it they don't need to watch it So. <laughs>
1: We loved it. We saw you in the Louvre, we saw you like, you know, um, all of your stories with the paintings and the statues is fabulous. Thank you. Yeah, I love it. Okay, it's barbecue season. Are you a hot dog or hamburger girl? I think I'm a hamburger girl. And what is on your hamburger?
2: Um, I would put some um, sauteed uh, onions and mushrooms and some lettuce. Barbecue sauce, maybe some like uh, mayo with ch- the the red chili
1: uh, paste. Ooh, Mix that up, slap nice. it all together. Oh.
2: Really good. Sounds and delicious. Spicy. <laughs>
1: Rebecca is. Rebecca is spicy. Okay. Favorite
2: <laughs> uh, slam. Uh, the happy slam Aussie Open.
1: Is that what it's called, the happy slam? Yeah. <laughs> happy slam.
0: I it is it's very fun. fun yeah it's it's really
2: fun it's definitely if you could just, it, i think everyone should start that as their first time if they ever get the chance it's like it's the middle of the summer for them in our winter and mm-hmm. that makes you happy to begin with
0: <laughs> that's true
2: yeah just get out of here the athletic
1: community in
2: melbourne as well so they really appreciate their tennis
1: yes um Favorite throwdown jam. So, like, if you were dancing at a party or at a club or whatever, what's the song that like really gets you going?
2: Oh no, I don't think I I, I have a fast answer for this one. Uh, I'm blanking. I usually feel like I'm pretty good with my music, and I'm <laughs> that's okay. I'm blanking. Are you like a
1: rock girl? Are you like a rap girl?
2: More, more like rock alternative kind of thing. So that's why I'm not really coming off with a coffee jam. But, but I feel like don't oh. um, oh, want a song that everyone would just go down to? I don't know, Black Eyed Peas. Whatever, everyone starts singing along, whether they love it or not. They, they'll start singing along.
1: <laughs> Black Eyed Peas. Is good. I, I, we would, we would both get down to Black Eyed Peas. That's all good. Um, okay. I, this is a bit of like a, a, this is kind of like, I think we both know the answer because we did our research on you. Favorite holiday? Oh,
2: Christmas. I think.
1: It's not Halloween? No. You know why? You know why? We looked, in- we looked at your Instagram and we found that you posted so many um, Instagram. <laughs>
2: <laughs> like, I, I really do like Halloween. Um, because it, it's just an excuse to like post the costumes and stuff. <laughs> I, I, I like Christmas more and the reasoning, it just barely edges out Halloween. So you you were almost right, is because my birthday is on the 16th of December. So I get like back to back presents. So that's, that's a- pretty much the only reason why I like Christmas more.
0: Well, you have- <laughs> A you very
2: have- close second is Halloween <laughs> because candy and costumes, so.
0: Well, you have Christmas, and then Halloween is gay Christmas, so you're winning on both fronts. There you
1: go. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Okay, a few more. Last series that you've binged on Netflix or another streaming service?
2: Uh, I was binging The Serpent on Netflix.
0: I've seen previews for that, it looks really good.
2: Yeah, I really enjoyed it a lot. A few people have said it's, like, a little too spooky at the beginning um, because it involves a serial killer. So if someone's not into that, um, maybe avoid it. Um, Something that I've just started watching is, uh, (laughs) I think it's called The Real Bros of Simi Valley. (laughs) (laughs) It's a parody on um, the real whatever, insert place name. Uh It's actually on Facebook Watch. yeah, which is kind of random, um, but it's it's pretty funny. It's short little ones. So. We
0: all need our guilty pleasures.
2: Yeah, so yeah. <laughs> we'll see very, <laughs> very different shows. So a little bit of something for everyone there.
1: And the last question on our changeover game is you, Jason, and I are, uh, we just had a, a tennis training session. It's Friday night. We're both, we're all at your place. And we're like Rebecca, Becca, Becca, Becca <laughs> we're not, we're tired. We're not cooking a damn thing. What are you ordering for our Uber Eats?
2: Oh, thinking, <laughs> and the funny thing is I've been thinking about what I like. I've been wanting to order from this place the last like two days. And I've been trying to like not do it from sheer willpower. Taco Fino. Uh, it's so good. Yeah. Taco Fino? Yeah. It's, um, they have a place in, in Tofino, and it's a little burrito shop, but they also have um, other locations all across Vancouver now. So they do burritos and tacos, and it's so good. So if anyone ever makes it out in Vancouver, that is, like, I think, one of the places to go um, if you want to have some, yeah, some of that Mexican flair. Um, but like West Coast style,
0: um, I so don't deliver cool. to Toronto.
2: I know. Sorry. I could mail it <laughs> <one> out. <laughs> I don't think it would taste the same. <laughs> no, no, <laughs>
0: probably not.
2: <laughs> but yeah, there's lots of good places in Vancouver. So if you wanted to eat out, I can give you lots of options. Peaceful restaurant, or if you're vegetarian, the nom. Mm. Yes.
0: It's dinner time. It's past dinner time here and I haven't eaten. So I'm very <laughs> hungry. I'm
1: making you hungry. <laughs> That is our game, Becca. Thank you so much for playing. You get a hundred percent. Thank you. That was fun.
0: <laughs> well, thank you for being on our show. Um, we really, you know, look forward to following your journey, and we hope that you continue to rise in the rankings. And we keep, you know, we look forward to seeing you pounding that ball on the hard courts uh, this summer and through twenty twenty one.
2: No, thanks. That was really fun, and
0: I hope uh, the season goes really well.
1: Me as
0: well. I know Aldwin has a quick story to share.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I just want to say that I don't, first of all, don't be scared. Okay. I'm not your stalker. Okay. I, I <laughs> literally so much. Um, I moved to a new place recently here in Toronto in, in February. And as I was packing my things, I was just contemplating about Jason and my pot and our podcast together. And then like, universe send me a sign send me a sign of who is going to be on our podcast this year and as i was kind of rifling through my things do you know what i found becca <laughs>
2: <laughs> what did you find oh my gosh that is a throw back throwback, throwback. The baby there <laughs> baby, uh, baby, baby becca, becca. Oh, my goodness, with the baseball cap like that. Oh, that's really funny. <laughs> that's really funny.
1: 2011, Rogers Cup. My friend Russell and I watched you. You lost against Makarova, but that's okay.
2: Oh, um, I always had the hardest. <laughs> I, oh, she beat me three times. and I always had like these close matches and she just <laughs> would always get me. She was like in my head, the rival that I wanted to get. And
1: I never got it. Oh, well, listen, you know, Jason has expressed his gratitude to you. I want to just let you know that this has been an absolute honor for Jason and I. I want you to understand that you have literally legions of fans here in Toronto and in Montreal and Quebec that support you in your journey and coming back. And, you know... Whenever you tap that little racket on the changeover, we'll be watching you and all of your fans out here in the East Coast. So thank you so much for being on our show.
2: Oh, gosh, I really appreciate that. And I I do feel the support from everyone coast to coast. I mean, I still have friends and family in all the different cities you've named, Montreal, Quebec, Toronto, even out in Moncton, New Brunswick. So literally coast to coast. Um, I feel so much love and support in my journey back. So, thanks for having
0: me on. I'm letting me share my story as well. We're here for your tennis tainment or your tentertainment or whatever it is. But if you like what we're serving up, please give us a five star review and like, share, and subscribe and like such as.
1: Wait, one more thing. Don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok at Ready Play Tennis Podcast.